everybody and welcome to this week's podcast, Huga in the Early Years. My name's Kimberly, and I'm founder of Casey Consultancy, which is an international hub for supporting early years teaching, training and support. And with all the work that we try to do, we're all about empowering early educators like yourself to be the very best version of you. So we're trying to create that perfect blend of professional knowledge and development alongside um, some time to focus on your well-being and your self-care. So thank you. Thank you for joining me for another one of our podcasts. It's great to see so many of you tuning in each week. And I know quite a large number of you have now subscribed to the weekly podcast too. I'd love to know your honest feedback or if there are any topics that you'd like me to cover. Or maybe you've got some questions that you'd like answering. Drop them to me in an email or a private message and I'll do my best to get back to you. Also, if you're finding this podcast really helpful in supporting you, why not share it with somebody else that you know that would find it useful? Because after all, sharing is caring. Okay, well today we're going to be looking at the Huga theme of togetherness. And I'm going to start by telling you about a recent holiday I went on to Florida with some of my really good friends. We try to get away at least once a year. The good friends that I've had since I was about 17, 18, and we've gone through so many different things together through life that it's really just helped to make our friendship even stronger. So every year we like to maybe go on a camping trip or a ski trip. Um, and last year, we were very fortunate in October to get a really cheap deal to Florida. So that's what we did. We went off to Florida together and we had the, the most fantastic time. Um, we hit some of the theme parks and we went to some of the water parks as well, um, as well as finding time to chill out and relax on the beach. Now, it was actually during my time at the water park that... I was challenged by my friends to do something that I just wasn't keen on doing. I must admit, water parks are not my favourite place to go to anyway. I'm not really a thrill seeker. I don't go on big roller coasters at the theme parks. I'm usually the one that holds all the bags and watches and takes photos. Um, but anyway, my friends had said, right, we're going to get you on one of the water rides today. Um, we'll do one together because then it won't be scary um, and we think you'll really enjoy it. So there was me thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to hate it. What, what are they getting me to do? I don't know. And all the way up the steps to the top of the, well, what I can only describe as being a mountain, <laughs> or at least it felt that way. My stomach was filled with complete dread. Anyway, I got to the top. My legs were shaking and I had literally like five seconds to get myself positioned in this big dinghy along with the rest of my friends around the edges. And I found little handles on the dinghy to hold on to and I hung on for dear life, ready for this dinghy to just start vamooshing itself down all the river rapids. And I must tell you, I absolutely loved it. It was so much fun and I thought, how have I been putting this off for so long? Suddenly, I found this part of me that loved that, that thrill and excitement. Um, and during my journey down the river rapids with my friends, we were giggling away. 
I think I was coming out with some really silly comments and I probably even said, wow, this is great. How come I've never done this before? And they just laughed at me. Anyway, the upshot of it is we had the most wonderful trip and I don't think I've laughed like that for such a long time. And it just reminded me that doing things together as a group of friends creates the most fantastic memories. Those memories that we made in Florida will last with us a lifetime. We'll talk about them when we meet up at the pub. We'll think back about that time when we went to Florida when we're old and sat in rocking chairs. And when I think back to the other times in my life when I felt really happy, you know, true happiness, when I think back to what I was doing and where I was, I realise that the times when I've always been around other people. And so that got me to think about happiness and how we can associate that feeling of happiness with others. Um, I read something the other day that told me that, did you know that you're highly influenced by the five people that you spend the most time with? So automatically, I was sort of running through my week and who I'd spent time with that week and thinking, yeah, I spend time with them like this every single week. And I was thinking about, yeah, do you know what? I am a lot like the people I spend time with the most. We have the same core values, the same things that drive us. And our social relationships are what really shape us and help us to be that person that we are today. And then I saw this quote, in fact, it was in my um, diary of joy that I write in each day. And it said, stay close to people that feel like sunshine. And isn't that true? We should stay close to those people that just bring out the best in us, that make us feel all warm and fuzzy, the people that we love to go on picnics with, with our family, yeah. that friend that we love to meet for a coffee, or maybe it's that special person or child that we love to get snuggled up with on the sofa on a cold winter's afternoon and watch a film. That feeling of being together is really how we form our social relationships and what allows us to flourish. And actually the Danes are really good at being sociable. They'll often spend their evenings engaged in a hobby, mixing that passion and interest that they've got with like-minded people. And maybe we need to do a little bit more of that. You know, think of all the times we go to work and we work such long hours that it actually begins to impact on our social um, interactions. That day when you work late, and you missed having that quality time, putting your little boy in the bath and reading a bedtime story. Or how about on a morning when you're so busy getting ready for your day that you forget to invest in yourself and those important to you and you rush out of the house grabbing a banana to eat in the car instead of actually making the time to sit down together as a family and enjoy that time you've got together talking about what you're eating, what kind of day you've got ahead of you, what your plans are for the evening. They're really important times of the day. And we really need to bring these back and try and embrace our interactions with others as best as we can. Because, you know, we've got to remember that this is your life and you're in control of it. You're the one that can shape it and change it. You just need to remember 
to have that positive mindset. And, you know, if you want to be the best and happiest version of yourself, don't wait for the weekend to do it. Don't save up all your best times. Do it today. Do it now. Um, and really just start living your best life as, as we are today. Now, the same thing about togetherness really applies in our teaching as well. And when we're working with so many vulnerable children, working with children that have been neglected of high quality interactions and relationships at home, we need to do our very best for them and try and bring this back into our day. When I was working in Bradford, I feel like I've said this so much recently, when I was working in Bradford, but it just illustrates this point well. So when I was working in Bradford, I had a group of children coming up into my reception class one September. Well, actually every September, to be fair. But this one particular September, the group of children that were coming up to me had such low social skills. Their behavior was crazy, erratic. The children didn't know how to work and mix together as a group. They couldn't have discussions with each other. Yet my head teacher at the time was so eager for me to start formal phonics sessions, following a scheme of work that lasted for 25 minutes each day. And I thought, goodness, no, my children can't even sit down and, and listen and um, respond to somebody one-to-one, -one. never mind have a whole group activity going on that just requires so many skills that my young children just don't have yet. So I had to be brave and I had to say, look, this isn't what's best for the children that I've got. This is what I need to do. So instead of starting our formal phonics and our formal maths, we introduced family time. And if there's one thing that impacted on my practice the most, it was this. By introducing family time to my daily routine, it really supported all areas of early development. So how did I make this work? So every day, my children would come into my classroom. I worked in such um, an area of vulnerability that I would always have breakfast out for the children as they arrived. This is a very discreet um, thing that I had in my classroom. So basically I just set up a snack table with a few little breakfasty bits on it, some fresh fruits, some cereals, some milk. It didn't cost very much to organise, but it meant that any child that was just coming into the classroom that morning could access it if they wanted to, if they needed to, and no questions would be asked. And that way, I knew that every child was starting the day in a really good way. Um, I always made sure there was an adult sat at the snack table supporting the interactions and the quality uh, time that would be had there. Um, and then the other children would just be working in the continuous provision for the first half an hour or so. Then we would get everybody together and the children would go off into what I call their little family groups. And I used to love this. So each uh, child within the class were assigned a key person and that key person would be sort of the family that they were in. And every day that family group would meet for 10 minutes or so to talk about whatever interested the children, whatever the children needed. 
and the adult just had a scrapbook in front of them. They'd go sit down in a cosy part of the classroom or sometimes they'd go to the library or another sort of space in school or outside and they would just chat and the adult would be there to, to facilitate the conversation, to model those key listening skills, to model how we ask questions and show interest in what somebody has to say. And then they'd also be scribing it down as well so that we had a record of what we'd covered and what we'd talked about. Now, the important thing to remember here is that as adults, we often go into situations where we have an agenda and we think, right, we're doing this because we need to get this out of it. And we need to tick the boxes to show that we're meeting the curriculum or it links to some assessment. But when we implemented family time, we took all of that away. We didn't do any forward planning for this part of the day. It was all child-led. And so some mornings we would spend time talking about how the children had played on their bikes um, in the local park after school. Or we might end up talking about something someone had watched on TV. And often this opened up a lot of personal, social and emotional um, development chats as well. So if somebody had watched something that was maybe a little bit inappropriate or it was for an older child, we could use that in our conversations and approach these issues in a very sensitive way. And we just found that doing family time helped the children to develop trust in us as adults. They were able to see that actually this adult really cares about me and they want the best for me. And in return, I'm going to respect them and I'm going to do what they need from me in return. Um, so, you know, at the beginning of the year, behavior was something that was tricky in my class. But by the end of the year, the children were happy. They loved coming to school. The attendance figures had improved greatly and also behavior had as well. And we had such fantastic relationships with the children and adults, very respectful of each other. And when we found that the time was right, which for us happened to be the end of October, we then slowly started introducing phonics into our daily routine. But we did this again in a very discreet way, a very active way, playing lots of games, doing it in small groups, doing it one-to-one -one where needed. And we still kept our family time as well running alongside this as part of our daily routine. So for me, I see that element of togetherness that we talk about lots in Huga is so important for us not only personally with the social relationships that we make, but also vital in our teaching of young children. So thank you very much for joining in with today's podcast. I hope I've helped you think about ways that you might try and be a little bit more um, active with your social relationships. And I look forward to catching you again in next week's episode. Have a great day. Bye.